welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kitchens. I'm a plant-based registered dietitian and virtual nutrition mentor. I was raised on an Angus cattle farm, grew up with a lot of GI issues, and used the power of plant-based eating to promote healing. Here, you'll find inspiration, ideas, and encouragement for your own plant-based journey. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. My name is Ashley, and today I want to welcome you to part two of our Best of 2022 series. Today, we'll be sharing our favorite inspirational episodes from former clients and everyday people just like you that I hope will help inspire you going into 2023. If you are new to the plant-based world and you need inspiration to get started or just some motivation to keep going, this episode is for you. We are so grateful to all of you who have followed us throughout this year. We do this for you and we are just so grateful that you're here and that you're so supportive of this podcast and the guests that we bring on. So thank you to you. Please enjoy part two of our best of 2022 series. I have an incredible guest joining me today. His name is JT. He's an actor and began his plant-based journey after years of health issues and struggles with weight. He's been able to shed over 50 pounds, reverse his type two diabetes and cut his high blood pressure and cholesterol medications in over half, half y'all. You have helped me with one gigantic thing, which is your suggestion of really taking your time with it. Because mm. I'm one of those people, you give me something to do, Ashley, it's done, now what? You yep. give me a form <laughs> to fill out. You say, answer this question. I've done that, now what would you like from me? Mm -hmm. I, I, I tend to move through things pretty quickly. But with this um, journey with you, I've found myself going back to the wise. Mm -hmm. and scratching things out and writing new things in and adding 14 things that I, I didn't think about before and those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's been, that's been wonderful. And that sense of resetting and recommitting is something that's been incredibly helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And it is, it's such a nice way to almost ground yourself as to, again, like why you're doing what you're doing. And you, the listener, if you're listening and you haven't maybe gone through that process of as you're transitioning to plant-based, if you already are plant-based, just taking that time to figure out why this is important to you, why it adds value to your life. Again, just going deep, not just for health reasons, which is what clearly both JT and I could both say, but really yeah. digging deep as to why, why is, why does health even matter to you? And then going beyond yeah. that. So it is, it's a really important exercise. It's an amazing exercise and it's almost never ending and wonderful in, in, in that regard. I keep on finding um, things I hadn't thought about. When I, I first lost my weight and I don't, I try not to focus on the weight portion of it. Everybody comes in different shapes and sizes and that's who they are. And, and that's beautiful wherever that is, but do you feel healthy and comfortable? And I, mm. I didn't feel healthy and comfortable. Yeah. And in losing the weight, one of the things I read about was that every pound you're taking off is um, like four pounds of pressure off of your joints. Mm. And for me, at, at the tender age of 63, running into high schools, teaching kids how to run around with swords and not injure each other. For me to take 200 pounds off my joints, 
I never imagined that I could feel this light and lively and healthy before. So, you know, uh, there's this constant discovery of really good whys that Mm -hmm. uh, is consistently unfolding, which is wonderful. Yeah. Since you mentioned that, I was curious if that did change how you were able to train other people, direct other people, hop around off on stage, you know, all these things you have to do if that had an effect on you physically with eating differently, with losing some weight, um, yeah, just how that like changed things for you. It it has changed things for me. So I, you know, I'm I, at 63 years old now. I started uh, doing stage combat and all those crazy things when I was in my 20s, and 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 would just throw myself into a fight. And 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 I've as I've aged, of course, my body is a little older, and of course, things are a li- the journey is a little bit different now but um keeping those joints healthy and 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 not just because of the weight loss but keeping those joints healthy with what i eat and keeping away from the inflammation Mm -hmm. that i used to have um kind of rampant in my body just such a difference you know i i was choreographing three musketeers for a theater group maybe a month ago and 20 something actors are, are, are learning to sword fight. And I keep on getting down into this really deep squat position. I'm like, this is where your knees want to be. You have to be this low to do this lunge right now. And they're all moaning and creaking and, and trying to get where I am. So it has made a tremendous difference yeah. in, in the way I do things. Today, I have a incredibly special guest with me. Her name is Kim. She is a former client of mine. And we talked today about her journey to intuitive eating. And y'all, this is such a beautiful story. Kim is incredibly transparent. She's vulnerable. She doesn't sugarcoat anything for you, which I really do appreciate. I talk to a lot of people now about intuitive eating and health at every size. And people are so, so, so hesitant. And so like, eh, like, uh, that sounds kind of fishy. Like, (laughs) I don't know if that's a real thing. And I've had people be like, if I, if I tried that, I would be at McDonald's one day, have a Frappuccino the next day, be eating wings the third day. And I was like, but that's not like in the beginning, intuitive eating does look like that. When you give yourself unconditional permission to eat food. Whatever pops into your head, you're like, I'm hungry. You're looking in the fridge. All you see is lettuce and carrots and lean meats because that's what you shop for. And you're like, I really want a burger. Intuitive eating is going and allowing to have yourself, allowing yourself to have that burger. And so in the beginning, it can be a little bit out of control in the sense, especially if you've been wrapped around diet culture your whole life. Yeah. It feels wrong. It feels bad. You've been taught these moral words for adding morality to food And so now the pile of high calorie food in front of you makes you feel guilty and shame. And, but if you continue intuitive eating, I think the biggest key is the listening to your body because I was the same in the beginning. I allowed myself, like I was eating foods that I hadn't eaten in years because I told myself they were bad and wrong. But if you listen to your body, your body doesn't actually want those foods in excess you feel gross. At least I did. But slowly I started to realize that my body wasn't loving it. Mm, And so with true intuitive eating, 
you use your intuition, you use the way your body feels to lead your choices. And so some days it looks like you have the leftover cinnamon bun for breakfast, but then by the time lunch comes, you're craving vegetables. And you know, when you're fridging, you're like, you know what, I could go for a giant salad and then maybe for dinner, it's a burger again. But instead of trying to allow your calories into these certain categories of fat, carbohydrates and and protein, your body kind of does it for you naturally. And I always like the quote of like, in one moment, it won't matter. It's what matters day in, day out. And if you kind of flow through what your body's craving, it like oftentimes you end up being balanced just fine as far as a high nutrient food and less nutrient food. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I find myself veering like, we kind of get stuck in a pattern or a family of eating the same kind of meals for a good period of time. And then my body goes, no, <laughs> you need to switch it up now. <laughs> like, I'm tired of this. I need something different. Yep. Yeah, it's true. And like you said too, it helps when you strip the morality away from food. So when you're not labeling food as good or bad or putting them into categories, like one is better than the other, then all these foods are like on a level playing field as well. And so it's like, oh, well, I'm actually not like really desiring maybe the, you know, the, the donut or this quote, the, the, what diet culture quotes as like a bad food because I, I could eat it if I want to, but because I'm not restricting it, I'm like, well, I'm not like intensely craving it when I was on a diet or when I was restricting it mm-hmm. um, and allowing yourself to have it when you want it. It's like, all right, it's just not that big of a deal anymore. Yeah. The, those cravings definitely go way down when it's no longer an off limits food. She's in the book and intuitive eating. She talks about like diet culture police and people like talking about your food choices and stuff. And I've kind of not about food choices, but I feel like I've become the like intuitive eating police. And since someone says like (laughs) bad or good with food, I'm like, no, (laughs) I catch catch my friends all the time. I'm like, unless you stole it from the store, it's not bad. You're not allowed to feel guilt. Like, yep. Like there's no, like food can't make choices. It's not good or bad. It's not good or bad. It's true. Yeah. Well, how has that been for you too, Kim? And this is kind of more off the cuff of like being more of an intuitive eater now. And maybe because we still live in a very diet culture, heavy society, it might be kind of strange to be like, well, Kim, but you had a, a Cinnabon for breakfast and now you're eating a burger or now you're eating a salad. Like that doesn't really make sense to me. Like have you come across like any maybe comments or struggles that have been maybe challenging for you from other people? I haven't had anybody comment on my food choices, which is nice. It's mm-hmm. really nice to not have um, if they're thinking them, they're not sharing them. But what I kind of do feel and I I, my cousin kind of like helped me identify this that there is a little bit of like like I think everybody especially in today's world has some internalized fat phobia Mm. and like I said the world and doctors even think that being plus size being like overweight which isn't the term what weight are we over um (laughs) like being in a large body is unhealthy So then I'm out here preaching, like, you don't need to feel this way. You can eat what you want, like, listen to your body. And I think everyone's so used to a before and after. And so they're like, oh, how long have you been doing this? And it's like, well, you haven't really changed. And I was like, I wish I could show you the change. Mm. 
Yeah. Because it is all internal and stuff. And so my cousin is the one that she's like, that's a little bit about like your bot, like body size. People want to hear a before and after they're looking for a success story and what the world has portrayed as a success story. And if you say intuitive eating and you're still in a plus size body, people are afraid of being in a plus size body because it's not an easy thing to do, especially in today's world when the message is that fit and smaller where it's at. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still just, I, then that's when I grab body respect or health at every size. And I start quoting the science on like, Science actually shows that if you have a little extra weight on your body in your later years in life, you're healthier. Science shows that if you do these four lifestyle factors, even if you're 50 pounds heavier than your sister and she's only doing one of those lifestyle factors, you're less likely to have a disease than she is. It's that's when the science comes in when people are like a little sounds really skeptical about intuitive eating. And I'm like, but and then I try to focus on the freeing side of it that. Mm. I overthought every single food choice that went into my mouth before. Yeah. I had guilt and shame and eating was painful. Mm. And intuitive eating fixed that for me. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And like you said, people, they want to see the before and after they want to see the the number or the, 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 you know, they want to actually see the change. But like you said, the change you've experienced you can't, you can't see it. It's internal. I mean, like you said, your mindset has shifted. Your thoughts around food have shifted. Your thoughts about yourself have shifted. It's so nice to not think those thoughts anymore. Yeah. Like people who are stuck in diet culture, as far as that, like for me and the people that I've seen in my life, man, does it suck the fun out of life? Yeah. You don't get to enjoy it fully. You're constantly thinking of your body. You're constantly thinking of your food choices. You're constantly thinking what you should be doing better and you're missing out on engaging with people at that party engaging in activities enjoying the concert fully like enjoying the vacation fully yeah somehow this just unlocked this freedom that you hadn't experienced in a really long time because you were just stuck in this cycle like so many people are of like you said not enjoying these things that truly truly matter yeah and that are really meaningful in life Caitlin lives in Texas and she went plant-based after multiple family members were diagnosed with various cancers. Her brother was diagnosed with cancer in October of 2018 and passed away before Christmas. Two months later, her uncle was diagnosed with cancer and this made Caitlin want answers. She learned that food really is her strongest medicine and that it's so vastly overlooked some of the listeners I know eat eggs and some listeners wouldn't fathom ever eating an egg again. And I think that I really like what you said of like, you're really trying to do the best that you can for yourself and where you're living and and into, like you said, not just for your health, but also for your brain and, and you're making like conscious choices as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was one of the biggest things once I like went plant-based and, and like learned more, I was like, I know it's not feasible for me to go 100% vegan as much as I would like to, and maybe one day I'll get there. Mm -hmm. I can do a whole heck of a lot right now where I'm at. And that any step towards that is better than being like, well, I can't do any of it. So I'm just going to eat meat and cheese all the time. You know, why do it? And I think, 
that's yeah. And I think that's like the, the mentality that a lot of people have with like health and fitness too. Like, well, I can only go to the gym maybe once a week. So that doesn't seem like enough. I'm not going to go at all. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So you could go 52 times a year or you could go zero. Well, 52 sounds better than zero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I try to just be like, just eat more vegetables, not yeah. like 100%, just like add more to your plate because naturally when your plate has more vegetables, you eat less of other stuff. Yeah. Even if you do have chicken on there, if you have like half of your plate of like a mixed veggie medley or whatever, you're going to eat a smaller serving of chicken because you have other stuff on your plate that you need to eat, you know? Yes. Yep. If you're listening yeah. and you're like, you're really resonating with Caitlin's message. Cause maybe you've felt like you have to go 100% and you've sort of like, just put up your hands because you can't, or you don't want to, then hopefully what Caitlin is saying is resonating with you and kind of encouraging you to just give it a shot and do the best that you can with what you have access yeah. to or what's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Brad, my husband will still, he'll eat a steak like once or twice a month. Like he eats really, really good most of the time. Like I, you know, we cook a lot of our food at the house, all of that stuff. And, um, even when he goes out to eat at work or whatever, he'll still get like plant-based stuff. Or if someone brings food in to work, he's like, here, you can have my chicken and he'll eat the vegetables and the rice or whatever. I mean, it's so much better than what we were doing. So I I give him crap because I'm like that, you know, that cow didn't live a good life, but (laughs) you know, it's still better than what we were doing. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it. Like you, you, I mean, you said overnight, yeah, let's go plant-based. I'm like once or twice a month is better than every day. Like some people. So I'm like, it's just a step forward. And like, that's the goal is just something, do something, anything. And it's, you will feel the benefits. Mercedes is originally from Texas and she moved to North Carolina with her partner about three years ago. She became vegan four years ago after forming an incredible bond with her rabbit, Theodore. She enjoys recreating her favorite dishes as a child to fit her current lifestyle. So Mercedes, how was it for you as you were kind of going down this road of veganism to, like you said, you're kind of adapting some of these cultural dishes that you grew up with that are really important to your family. How, how was that? And how did that kind of go over? Obviously they love the tamales. We know that, but kind of how, yeah, did, that, yeah, yeah. how did that go for everybody? <laughs> Mostly yourself. Um, yeah. So it. I'm not going to lie and say it was super easy. It was hard because I grew up never seeing my grandparents you know, measure anything. And they used a lot of chicken stock. They used a lot of, um, I mean, my grandparents grinded their own meat for tamales, you know, and we would all help spread the masa and, and, you know, put the filling in there. And it was a big transition as in learning how to like find things that maybe matched or gave me that same kind of like nostalgic feeling of eating all these great foods that they prepared for us. But you know, there were times where I burned things or I didn't add enough flavor. And thankfully, Mike, he will not let food go to waste. So he just ate it anyway. <laughs> uh, and there were times where I couldn't. But, you know, I guess just playing, not playing around with it, but literally seeing what can I do? How can I modify it? And almost having it be like a challenge. Like, I, I really want to, if my parents, which my parents did visit North Carolina, you know, if my parents come, how am I going to like feed them? 
because they love all these foods. And finding out I can make, you know, homemade tortillas with like cassava flour or like just anything better. And it's really cool because when they came to visit, my mom's numbers for her diabetes were so normal that her body was in shock from how oh. normal they were. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was like, and it wow. was, it was so incredible, but so, you know, also so sad when you think about it because of yeah. what we eat and what we put in our bodies and how it really affects you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, overall it was like, it's always really challenging, but it's really rewarding when I, I feel like I made something and it's my go-to. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of nostalgic dishes, describe to us what you made or describe to the listeners, what you made for us, those of us who are sitting in the audience during your vegan Mexican cooking class. Um, that was like so, so delicious. So I made a vegan birria, um, you know, or vegan birria tacos. Um, and I made a tres leches cake, which if you're in Texas, tres leches cake is like everything. It's everyone's birthday cake. It's my partner's favorite cake in the whole world. So like all the time, we would always get that. You can use the like, you know, the video sauce to by itself. You can eat it as like a soup. It's like, a, I always call it like a fancy quesadilla <laughs> is what I call it. Cause yeah. it is what, it, it is kind of what it is, um, but it's fried and it's so good. I used jackfruit, but I've used, you know, my partner kind of, it's funny. He'll call me like a bougie vegan. Cause I'll get like, sometimes I'll, I like, you know, the sweet earth chicken and like shred it up even more. Yep. Or sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm too lazy and I'm going to go get jackfruit or I want to be more cost effective with our budget. So I'm going to use mushrooms or so you can do so many things. I love it. Cause it's about the sauce, honestly. And that kind of is what makes anything in that feeling taste good. So Yep. And one thing that I took away, well, I took a lot of things away from your cooking class, but one thing in particular was when you were talking about the jackfruit, because you know how jackfruit sometimes has like an off taste or you're like, mm -hmm. oh, this is definitely jackfruit just because it has a strong flavor to it. One thing that was really helpful mm -hmm. that I learned from Mercedes for you listening was that you rinsed your jackfruit multiple, multiple times and oh, yeah. you recommended buying young jackfruit. Was that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, young jackfruit. And the flavors are completely different. If Even if you just pop open a can and you, you taste it like raw, it's it's definitely like the flavors are so different. So I will do that a lot. I'll like open cans everywhere <laughs> and like try things. But young jackfruit also just shreds better. You can marinate it. You can make like street tacos, like a steak style. You do so many things with young jackfruit. Yeah. And I will say too, I, and Mercedes knows this, I recreated her Trace Leches cake and it was not as good. It was still delicious, but I'm like, oh, Mercedes was just <laughs> so good. She set the bar so high. Oh no. <laughs> it was probably, it was, it was it the milk. Did you use the milk? You used all the coconut. I did. I used all the, well, I was actually really glad to find. So I found the evaporated coconut milk and then condensed mm -hmm. coconut milk at Whole Foods, which was great. But Mercedes, I use some gluten. Well, not some, I use gluten-free flour. And I think no, that's that, fine. that was yeah. like the difference. Oh, I need okay. to test it a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, Mercedes. No, I'd love to know. I'd love to know like anything that you test. Because, yep. um, yeah. Well, it was funny because I made it for someone's birthday and everyone, everyone loved it, but I'm like, Oh, Mercedes, it, I don't know. She just had something. It was just so much better for some reason. <laughs> so it was still really delicious though. 
Oh, yay. Well, that makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was so fun. So for someone who is listening and is kind of maybe kind of where you were four ish years ago and struggling, they, they feel this pull to make the change, but maybe there's some strong cultural ties to the food that they're a part of, or the, the family get togethers that they go to. What would you say to someone who's maybe thinking about transitioning or transitioning now? And, and there are some pain points or some struggles that keep arising. Oh man. You know, I think at the end of the day, really knowing why this is for you and like kind of sitting down and soaking in that thing, you know, why you're doing it is so much bigger than like five minutes worth of food, you know, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't, you know, like I said, it benefits animals, obviously, but it benefits you, your health. And I love my culture. I I love, you know, I love my family so much, but that does mean I want to have, you know, (laughs) their genetics when it comes to disease and, and getting, you know, getting these horrible things like diabetes and having strokes and cancer. And I don't want any of those. And you can still eat so many things that remind you of who you are and you come from without you know, without harming something or harming yourself. And I think that I always have to think to myself, my body does so much for me, um, you know, and I need to take care of it just as much as it takes care of me. I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Rihanna. She went plant-based a couple years ago after her doctor gave her two options. She would either need to start cholesterol medication and be on that forever, or she would most likely have a heart attack by the time she was 40, like her dad did. So what did she decide to do? She decided there had to be a third option. So basically your doctor's telling you that, hey, you have two options here. You can go on cholesterol medication or, which is so horrible to say. I know. Have a heart attack at 40, like your dad, which again. I'm like, oh, okay, good. Yeah. But you were basically like, there has got to be another way. And I think for a lot of the listeners here, it's empowering to hear you say, even at age 20, like, I'm going to look for a different healthcare provider because there has got to be another path for me. Yeah. So you found the new healthcare provider. They decide they, or they tell you that maybe eating some more plant-based fats will be good for you. And so you're like, yeah. so then how did this propel you into like kind of full on the plant-based eating world? Yeah. So pretty much for six months after that doctor told me to start incorporating more plant-based fats, I went vegan fully vegan for six months. And then I started to incorporate honey and sometimes just like eating some plant or animal-based foods after that. And so when I went to the doctor again for that checkup, she, so my cholesterol went from 33, the good cholesterol to 58. So yeah. Yeah. So that was after I, I started eating plant-based. So that really was inspiring. I'm like, okay, this lifestyle actually works. And of course, like, I feel like every time after we hear good news, we're like, oh, I'm good. I don't have to do that anymore. So then when I started to incorporate more animal-based foods, I just didn't feel good. Like I noticed a difference, just not feeling overall healthy. Mm, Yeah. Um, And so that's when I was like, I'm going to cut this out. Okay. I'm going to cut this out. And then it was funny when I started to like if I went to a party and people were serving meat and I would be like, okay, I'll just eat it. It like made me want to throw up. Like it, like 
just everything around it. Like, I'm like, how did this get to my plate? Like, and then I started watching documentaries and I'm just like, the more I just do research and think for myself and really focus on how I feel the, the better I feel. And it's funny. Cause I actually mm. go to a workout locally. It's called camp gladiator. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. Um, they actually are all up and down the East coast, but it's like hit high intensity and, uh-huh. it's, and you have a trainer anyways, love my trainer, but you know, I was like, I want to build muscle. And so she was like, okay, well you need to start incorporating more animal-based foods. You need to start eating more chicken, more cottage cheese. So that I actually started to do that to like build more muscle. And I just felt terrible. So pretty much like Mm. ever since the doctor, I just like kept going back and forth of like, okay, I'll try this. I'll try this. And now for the past six months, I've been fully plant-based and I will never go back because I've realized I've taught myself through trial and error, what works. And I just truly feel the best when I'm eating plants. Yes. And I mean, seriously, just to reiterate what you just said, like that is the most important part of this journey is like understanding what it is that you're eating and how you're feeling, because that is so empowering to first of all, make that connection and yeah. then to be able to continue down that journey of like, I know what makes me feel good. I know what doesn't make me feel good. And to just, again, continue down that path of this makes you feel good. And this is what I want to keep on doing because of that. Right. And that's what it makes it so much easier to continue down that journey because of it. Right. Absolutely. Kate and I met at the retreat. She was one of our guests. She has a very unique story. So Kate is a clinical psychologist in New York City, and she was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when she was 15 years old. After years of being on and off medications like NSAIDs, Kate pursued a path of managing her arthritis symptoms with nutrition at the age of 30. She's been primarily plant-based for almost nine years, and she has not been on medications for her arthritis since making this change. For me, waking up in pain was normal. It was like, I felt like I was like, oh, I just like made fun of myself. Like I coped with humor, right? I'm like, I'm just like, oh, I'm like an old lady. I just wake up. I'm like achy. I got to like take time. I can't just like pop out of bed. Yeah. And so that was kind of just how I lived and yeah. I didn't know to like look for anything different. I didn't think to look for anything different. And so like the, the doctors at this point are basically just prescribing medications. And I mean, that was what you had access to. So that's yeah. sort of what you went with. Yep. Yeah. And I just didn't even like think anything. My sister, meanwhile, for animal rights reasons was vegan at one point, but never, ever like talked to me about like the health component of a plant-based. And so I just didn't even think about, had no idea. And then I was talking with a friend and colleague at work who also works in my uh, same community, same population. And we both had young friends who had uh, breast cancer. And so this whole all started, I wasn't even looking for something for my arthritis. It was just a, we're telling a story about having young friends with breast cancer. Yeah. And we both were having this like freak out of like, we know that not all cancer can be prevented, but we do know that some things can be prevented. We know there's genetics. We know, right. Like we know there's all these different factors and we both just decided we're like, well, we heard about this book, eat to live. Oh, yes. And so I was turning 30 and I, after I turned 30, I decided I was like, 
I'm literally transitioning jobs. I'm going from this one job on Long Island. I had been doing a crazy commute. I was like not feeling great in my body. Couldn't squeeze in exercise because my commute was like an hour and a half each way. It was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I literally went to on vacation. I was sitting on the beach in Jamaica and I was reading Eat to Live. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Some light reading for the beach. Sitting there, I'm reading Eat to Live and I'm like, everything I'm eating and this like all inclusive vacation, I was like, well, this is the last time I'm eating this. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just sort of like decided while I was on the vacation that when I got back, I was done eating that way. Wow. And learned so much for me to live. And now having like learned, I mean, that was nine years ago. So having learned you know, more and more, I definitely see like the value of what that book offered. I also see things now that I disagree with, but I am, you know, grateful for how it really precipitated my plant-based journey because literally I would say within like a month or two of being plant-based, I didn't wake up in pain anymore. Wow. For the first time in probably a long time. In like 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, what was that like? And did you make that connection of like, oh, it might have something to do with the way I'm eating. So kind of given, you know, my background as a psychologist, I was like cross, I was doing a lot of the background research, like, okay, they made this reference. Let me actually go look at that study. Like, what is the research? And so I went into like making plant-based adjustments with like a very specific goal in my mind of reducing my body's inflammation. Um, that was, that was the why, right? Like it was like, okay. And not even thinking like, I want to reduce my symptoms necessarily. It was like, I want to reduce the level of inflammation in my body. And like, what will happen if I do that? Yeah. Yes. So why not give it a try? That was what happened. I like noticed right away. I was like, Hey, my joints don't hurt. I'm not swelling. Even like response to humidity, right? Like when it's humid, my hands used to swell. Yeah. Nope. None of that anymore. Wow. (laughs) Andrea, she works as the director of business development for a civil and structural engineering firm. She moved to a vegan lifestyle about nine years ago after reading the China study. So Andrea, I know I've followed you for quite some time. I know a little bit of your story because we have some overlaps in how we were raised, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm very curious for you to kind of take us back to what life was like growing up, what food looked like, and then how your vegan journey started to come about. Yeah. So growing up was very much meat and potatoes maybe some carrots, lots <laughs> of meat and potatoes, lots of roast, lots of spaghetti with meatballs, you know, like those types of meals. I was a ridiculously, like embarrassingly looking back at it. I was such a picky eater. It was, but it's because I really wasn't exposed to very many things. I always joke because I never had asparagus until I went vegan. Like how oh. is that? How is that a thing? <laughs> yes. Like, how is that a thing? So about 10 years, well, so rewind a couple years, I had a friend of mine who um, she said, you know what? She called me and she said, I, I think I'm going to go vegetarian for Lent. 
And so, uh, on the phone, she lived several states away. And I was like, well, oh, okay, you know, you do you. And so then I laugh and say, then the next year she started brainwashing me. You know, <laughs> of I, course. I yeah. She's like, Andrew, you should read this book. You should watch this documentary. You should do this. You should do this. So then the next year rolls around and she says, hey, I think I'm going to go vegan for Lent. And again, same conversation. Okay, sounds good. I know you're a good cook. Like you do you. And so then she really kind of started pushing it. Like Andrea, you drink two gallons of milk a week. That's like when I look back. Were you really Andrea? Yes. (laughs) I would have a giant glass of milk every night before I went to bed with some cookies maybe. Uh Yep. I mean, it wasn't like a little four ounce. It was a giant (laughs) glass of milk every night. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe there's something to all this. And she said, I really recommend that you read a book called The China Study. Mm-hmm. And so I buy it. And I'm like, oh, this is research. Like, just give me a good murder mystery. Yep. You know? Oh, yes. I couldn't put it down. I mean, it was like I was flipping the pages as quickly as I could because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, family history here, family history here. And it's just like, well, is all of this in the family history because it's genetics mm. or is it because it's the food that we eat? You know, I mean, and I know that that's kind of the argument that's out there. Yeah. What is it? You know, but so I said, you know what? I finished this book and I said, I'm going to see if I can give up milk, just milk for 30 days. And so like, I kind of finished everything out of my refrigerator, you know, and once that gallon of milk was gone, <laughs> the, the 30 days started. And I mean, I would walk past and I would be like, oh, I really want a, I really want a glass of milk yeah. at the grocery store. It would be like, oh, I, there's it's a calling to you. Of milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so during that month, I didn't have any milk. I'm sure there was probably stuff as we now know as vegans. There's milk in everything, yes. you know. Yep. Um, but no, no milk from the gallon jug at night or, or any time during those 30 days. And then I know my personality, and so I don't know why I challenged myself because if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And so 30 days came and went, and then I thought, wow, I'm still alive. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yes. And so then I thought, man, everything that my friend had been telling me, you know, I love the animals, I love the earth, I love, you know, all of these things. And so it's like, okay, well, I think we're, I think we're just gonna go vegan. And so that is my story. So 30 days milk free, and then I've been vegan ever since. So today I have with me Allison Clark. After her own diagnosis with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, she decided to take matters into her own hands. In January 2021, she transitioned to plant-based and started incorporating other lifestyle changes into her life. She immediately started seeing a decrease in the severity of her symptoms. And this past spring in 2022, a year and a half later, she learned get this she learned that her Hashimoto's had gone into remission and I'm sure this is true for many people another hard thing was telling people that I was plant-based yes um, (laughs) and their reaction to that and you know I do I do have very supportive people which I'm lucky um you know they're not plant-based but I have a lot of health conscious friends and they respect it and if we go somewhere they always make sure there's an option for me or um, they'll make something that's an option or I'll bring something. So they've been really supportive. Um, but it definitely was like a raised eyebrow. Like, what do you, what do you mean you're going to plant-based? Like, 
that's not what our family does. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're not. Um, and my dad always jokes, well, you could just go. And it's out of the goodness of his heart. He's not serious because he helps make stuff all the time. But, you know, you could just go out in the backyard and eat the grass. Yeah. Like, oh, back. yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. And just other families saying, like, you know, well, you have to live a little. And mm-hmm. and that's one of my that drives me bonkers because this is me living. This yeah. is me living my best life. I'm healthy. My gut is healed. I lost weight. I I'm happier. I'm less fatigued. I just feel good. This is my living. My living is not eating cook uh, cookies and chips on the weekend or a whole spare rib. Like that's just not, that's not living to me anymore. So yeah. that piece of people, and I still think people don't fully understand and they, they kind of come at you. Yeah. So that's a difficult thing. But I think if you know inside that this is the right decision for you and it's working for you to be plant-based, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. People think because this is you. And if you find that your decision isn't working for you, it's okay to switch to figure things out differently, but don't change just because other people are giving Mm -hmm. you a hard time for it. Amen to that. (laughs) Yes. I could not agree more. Yeah. Well, and like you said earlier, like you felt, you thought you felt pretty good in college, but then looking back, you're like, oh, wow, I feel way better now. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. I'm curious because you have other family members who have hypothyroidism, if there has been much conversation around the kind of your own personal journey, or if that is maybe just swept under the rug and not talked about. Um, So I do talk to my one cousin about it because I know she struggles as well. Um, And so we do have those conversations, but it just has been harder, I think, for her to go plant-based. I'm just, yeah. you know, I don't know if she's necessarily open to it um, or it is hard. She has a whole family. Then the whole family would have to go plant-based because she, you yeah. know, there's only one, cooking, only one person cooking. Um, my other family member, we do not talk about it because eating, you know, like a ton of meat and dairy is, that's not going to change for her. And it's just not, enough. it's not even in the question. So I just, part of it is people have to be open to, yes. um, because you know, as well as I know, there are some people who are just flat out. They just, they don't want to acknowledge the facts. They don't want to see it or even just be open to a different way of thinking and eating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And that's kind of where you're at right now is you're helping people find a solution for people who actually are looking for one, or like you said, are open-minded to trying something different or trying yeah. something that they haven't tried before. Erin has been plant-based for a month, y'all. She is an ordained clergy person in the United Methodist Church and CEO of Real Nation. Erin holds a bachelor's in political science and a master of divinity degree from Duke University, which is just down the road from where I live. She is a wife to Henry and a mother to Ella, who is four, and Nadia, who is one, all of whom are fueled by 100% plants. Some weird things started happening. So about around 2017, my mother-in-law watched a documentary about what's called the Banting diet. It's very similar to keto. It was developed by a physician out of South Africa, and it was basically high fat, low carb. Uh, it was based most on mostly on anecdotal and observational evidence of him training athletes to go keto. I watched one documentary, uh, was with them in London, and they were eating, they were just in that first week of this keto switch for their family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, I can eat bacon every day. Okay. Like sign me up. Yep. 
I was like, wait, I can get like full fat milk and I can eat my berries with cream. Like these were actually things that I started to do for an entire year. Mm. Some great things happened. I lost some weight. You know, I wasn't as hungry. I got rid of all those nasty carbs. Who wants carbs? And um, (laughs) ate mostly actually really vegetable heavy diet. But I also, in addition to a meat and vegetable heavy diet, ate three pieces of bacon a day, Mm -hmm. um, whole milk, all these things. So for entire years. So we go because I'm ordained clergy in the United Methodist Church. And at the time I had to get regular health screenings once a year because pastors go on the health insurance for the church, right? Uh So in order for us, the church has a vested interest in us living long and healthy lives, Mm -hmm. inexpensively healthy lives. Of course. (laughs) They want to know my cholesterol. So I go and I get it checked. Well, I say, well, Henry, you might as well get yours checked too. The physician is utterly alarmed. He calls us both in. I happen to be with Henry that day and says, look, we don't even have numbers for your age range because we don't even see cholesterol this high. But if you're a 40 year old man, because at the time my husband was maybe 29, 28, you would have about a 50% chance of a cardiac event. So my heart stops. And he says, so your first step, if you don't want to go on a statin for the rest of your life, is to go to a nutritionist. So we're at Duke university, right? They were seeing Duke professor or Duke doctors. We go and she says, bring me a list of the things you're eating. So I bring my little spreadsheet of all of my bacon and my roasted chicken with skin X, Y, Z. She takes a yellow marker and she highlights and says, these are the things that are killing you. Wow. So I go back and I'm like, okay, carbs are our new BFF, Yeah. but we're going to do, we're going to be complex, right? I became like the quinoa girl and the brown rice, because I'm starting to get into fitness at this point, right? At this point, I've sort of like, I'm getting pregnant. I'm having a kid. I want to fit in my jeans. I'm too cheap to buy new clothes. And I'm like, okay, I'm just the girl who's like, no more extremes, like never toss out a food group. Stop following the Instagrammers who tell you, you can't eat something. So I become that girl, Uh (laughs) like include all the things girl. And, uh, my husband loses 50 pounds. My husband starts working out five days a week, 45 minutes a day, best shape of his life. We go home to Florida. Now, granted, he starts eating a little bit more red meat, just a little, once a week, gets his cholesterol check and still alarmingly high. Oh, wow. So the doctor says something about you. It's genetic, right? Which of course, makes sense. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because our very meat loving South African grandfather has had a quintuple bypass, wow. which we are told is simply was sort of a voluntary bypass. I'm like, mm. I don't, I don't know that they, they cost anywhere from 30,000 to a hundred thousand dollars per bypass. I'm not sure how voluntary. So there's like, I think sometimes even the way that we narrate health stories within our own families, yep. because what I'm learning is like thing we're told they're genetic, but we've also inherited the dietary pattern. And so things that just seemed inevitable aren't always inevitable. Meanwhile, my mother is gaining 120 pounds over the course of 15 years. Mm. And I'm like watching this slow motion nutritional train wreck. So my mother struggled with chronic depression in and out of hospitalization over the course of her life and really emotional eating. So brownies with, she would actually put butter on her brownies, like like you're buttering toast. Yeah. And a lot of like hiding things, you know, stashing mm-hmm. candy bars and things. And so a lot of my leaning into nutrition was a fear of my own future that I was going yeah. to repeat. My mother contracted type 2 diabetes, 
stroke level blood pressure towards the end of her life. And eventually on her 67th birthday, she went in because she's had chronic shortness of breath. Mm. And so they did a, a heart catheterization, which was supposed to be an outpatient procedure. So they actually put the entire catheter in. Yeah. Couldn't see anything immediately. Take the whole catheter out. She should be walking home now. She goes into cardiac arrest. She redlines in the doctor's office. So they bring out the panels. They bring her back to life. She dies again. They bring her back to life six times. My mom died and was resuscitated. So at this point, I fly home from New York. My mother Mm -hmm. is in a medical coma. They're letting her brain cool off because of all the electricity that's now flowing through her body. And when we get there, we do our MRI and there's basically no neurological functioning left. Mm. And so by the age of 31, I had removed both of my parents from life support. My dad was in a traumatic motorcycle accident with brain trauma, half a million dollars, medical bills. And then my mother now, cardiac arrest. I watched this with my mother. I watched this with Henry's grandparents. And now my husband's sitting in that hot seat, right? Right. And I was just like, not another one. I'm not doing this again. So I stumbled upon a podcast by Deliciously Ella. Do you know her? I do. Uh huh. Deliciously Ella. And like somehow, I don't, I think I was just like Googling like nutrition things of like cholesterol. I think I just typed in cholesterol because I was looking for a way to tweak my husband's diet. For instance, mm. I've always wondered about eggs. They're like an on the table, off the table in the media thing. They sure are. <laughs> yep. And we were eating like six eggs a day as a family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But they were from Happy Chicken. In fact, I live in the south of England near the Surrey Hills. We have the happiest chickens around. Of course. I actually got my my eggs and my chicken delivered to my door from a real life 2021 milkman in my English village. So I'm like, I'm doing it right. Okay. Yeah. But I'm nervous because of this whole cholesterol thing it is. And I think that's how I stumbled upon this podcast by Nutritional Yella and a plant-based nutritionist she was interviewing. Then the second most popular podcast after hers was Dr. Greger's Nutrition Facts. Mm-hmm. And he had a whole series on cholesterol and statins and their efficacy. And at, at the end of every one of his episodes, he'd always be like, but of course, if you want to avoid heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, da, 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 you could merely do that with a plant-based diet. And I was like, huh, why did anybody tell me this? Michelle Bowman comes on the show to share the story of her and her husband, who are now both living plant-based lives together. They are empty nesters living full-time in an RV, and recently they had to make drastic changes when Rick had a very serious health scare. And she does mention several, several numbers. So I want to go through and just give you sort of what the quote normal ranges are so that when she does share these numbers, you know how drastic they are. So she mentions triglycerides. That is the fat in your blood. Ideally, triglycerides should be under 150. She mentions total cholesterol. Ideally, that should be under 200. She mentions Rick's blood sugar levels. Ideally, those should be under 100 if you're fasting. And then she also mentions A1C, which is basically the measurement of your blood sugar levels over the past two to three months. And ideally, that should be under 5.7%. When we saw the results of eight weeks of whole plant-based eating, I'm like, we got to tell people about this. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So here's, here's where we're starting. So 
I guess, take us back to even before you started your plant-based journey, what was kind of going on with you and your husband at the time? So to be honest, um, we have tried and mainly for losing weight in the past, we've tried every kind of diet. We even did carnivore. And I think, you know, that's what got him into the situation. He did carnivore. I was gone to help my mom with my dad. Um, He was ill and he was eating bacon cheeseburgers every night. Like that was his meal because they were already cooked burgers from Costco and he was using the already cooked bacon. And he did say he was having a little bit of twinge in his chest, but nothing major. Um, But we, we know that we need to eat right. So you try to do whatever it is you need to do. But this time it was not really about losing weight. It was whether he wanted to live or not. Wow. So basically he was given this almost that sounds like an ultimatum of like, you go down the, keep going down this path and we know what's going to happen or you need to change something. Yeah. He went to the doctor for his yearly blood work on May 25th and the nurse called him the next day with the results and, or two days later, she called with the results and she said, the doctor wants you to go pick up this prescription for statins. Um, she says, you're a miracle that you're still alive and haven't had a heart attack or stroke. And that's when she told us, and I have it in front of me, his triglycerides were 1,093 and his cholesterol was 342. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go get those, you know, statins. And we're, we're not big on pills. We don't, you know, we don't do that. And it's like, but I'm going to get that because I don't want my husband to die, you know? And so I went and got the prescription and he started taking it and the same day he came home sick from work and he thought these, these aches and pains in his back and legs were part of that. When he started taking this medicine, the prescription for cholesterol. And after a few days, it got worse. I mean, he was up, he couldn't sleep his back and legs. He was in the worst pain he'd ever had. And he's had a kidney removed. So, I mean, he's, he, he said, this is worse pain than that. And I was, I started looking, I'm like, I better look up the side effects of this medicine. So after about five days in him being in horrible pain, I look it up and I I said, back and leg spasms, horrible back and leg spasms. I'm like, okay. I said, we need to get you to the ER and you need to stop taking that. And so they, we took him, they gave him a couple shots and muscle relaxers in which he doesn't like to take any kind of narcotics anyway. Yeah. So he did for a couple of days just to edge, get the edge off till the medicine got out of his system. And that's when we realized, okay, you have to do this totally by eating completely. You got, we've got to do this and see what is it that helps lower cholesterol. So I went to Google, uh-huh, of course, <laughs> you know, I went to Google and started searching and it all was saying plant-based and I was like, okay. Um, oatmeal and fruits and vegetables and not a lot of fat and oils. And I was like, okay, so I need to go start following some plant people on Instagram that are, so I can get used to cooking this way and learning more stuff and get inspired um, because I'm going to support him and do whatever I want. That's going to help him. I'm certainly going to do that because I love him. And you know, I was like, okay, so I'm going to do this too. And we did that. And I I have to give him a big shout out that even 
while I, I was actually gone for six weeks, I had to leave again during this time. I had to leave for six weeks, go help my mom take care of my dad. He was in hospice and sick. And um, he fixed the food and things that I told him to fix. He wow. did. He went, did the shopping, fixed, packed his lunch, um, came home every day, would fix his food. And he did it. So I, I can't take much credit for it besides getting him started and telling him what he couldn't eat, what he could. Right. Eat. So, um, but when he went back after eight weeks, this was his cholesterol was 342 and went to 241. That's huge. And the triglycerides was what blew us away. It was, you know, 1093 to start and it was down to 280. Wow. And the doctor was amazed. She said, what did you do? Because she really didn't tell us what to do. Yeah. She didn't tell him. I mean, it was just, you know, he didn't go back in there because he had gotten sick and they weren't taking patients in the office, all this doing these telehealth visits. And so she really didn't even say anything about what. So we had to figure it out on our own and thankful wow. for people, for, you know, experts like you talking about it and saying, okay, this is how you do it. This is what you do. And so yeah. we just, you know, we've been learning. We're beginners still. But the fact that it went down so much in eight weeks, I mean, we cried happy tears. We were so oh. like, okay, because we had people saying, well, what if that doesn't work? What, right. Why are y'all doing this? You yeah. know, what, or, well, when this, when he get when it gets low again, you're going to go back to eating meat? Like, no, mm. no. And the reason is because we watched a couple of documentaries, like what the health. And then we watched forks over knives and the science is there. And the proof is in his blood work. We can't, you know, nobody can deny that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you cannot deny those numbers. I mean, those were staggering numbers to begin with. And then to see those results, eight, eight weeks, y'all, not just not over the course of a year, that's eight weeks time of changing your yeah. diet. Thank you so much for listening to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast today. If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with a friend or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally say thank you. Until next time, keep thriving.